Let's just um, take a second to be quiet. If you're, if you're old enough to hear me and understand what I'm saying, children, it's okay if you don't. You can move around if you need to wiggle. Just take a second. Everybody close your eyes and just be quiet. I assume that that silence is probably what it was like waiting for the Lord to answer his promise. And what are you tempted to do in silence? Panic, worry, anxiousness, put a plan into motion on your own because maybe God's not fast enough. God's not doing what you want him to do. In silence, what are you tempted to do because God would have you wait? It's a good thing that the nation of Israel and that Christ followers in general in some ways have become professional waiters. And I know that's not really encouraging to those of you that might be considering the Christian faith. But waiting on the Lord has been a mark of both Old Testament people and New Testament people. But there is a theme that connects all through the scripture and I want you to see it this morning because you're gonna hear the story told by our children and you're gonna hear them tell the story you might know so very well and might have become routine and rote in your own life. And you're, gonna, you're ready, your, your response right now is blah, blah, blah. I know what they're going to say. That's okay. But how do you wait? How do you wait on the Lord? In Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Genesis 1, 6, Then God said, Let there be space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. Genesis 1.9, then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together in one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. Genesis 1.14, then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let the lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. I see a theme in scripture. Scripture reveals to us that God who says something is the God who carries through with what he says. He is a God of his word and a word that when spoken, it happens. 
When he speaks, he follows through. And it only makes sense to me that the enemy in the garden, both the enemy of God and of mankind, would open his mouth and the death phrase that was spoken began with these words in Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say? It only makes sense to me that the very beginning presents to us the very real battle that you and I will struggle with until the day we leave this flesh. Did God really say? The rest of the scripture in Genesis is not just the story of how time gets started, not just how creation and order and humanity all find their beginnings, but Genesis establishes for you and for me that God speaks and that God keeps his word. This should matter to us in a day and an age where we see words mean very, very little. I hope as a Christ follower, you will consider reading through even more of the Old Testament and continue to see God says and God does. The more you read, the more you see God says and God does. The more you understand that God says and God does, the more you understand who God is. God is not just a God who's telling everyone to trust him. He's actually proving himself trustworthy in the Old Testament. This is the beautiful picture of the narrative of Genesis to Revelation It's filled with people hearing the words, I will give you what I have promised you. It's people hearing God telling them this is going to happen and then things happen. It's God saying, I'm making a way and then a way being made. It's full of God saying, walk in my ways and blessings come with those. If you refuse to walk in my ways, cursings come with those. God says, God does. And this is for our good. But there are places in the Old Testament that become very unique in what they promise. And it begins to take shape after the fruit. After the moment in the garden that we all call the fall, there's a very unique promise made in Genesis 3. Listen to the words. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, You are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now this may seem like God was simply cursing a snake. But it is actually a promise to every human being who would come after. A child would be born of a woman... And he will strike the head of this serpent from the garden, from the moment humanity fell into chaos. God said, and God will do. The promise is made from the seed of a woman will come a rescuer. And this rescuer will be struck, but he will be victorious. The Old Testament continues to get clearer and clearer that God says and God does. In Genesis chapter 12, the picture gets even clearer. He says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Somehow every family, 
Every family is going to be impacted and influenced through a promise made to Abraham. What God says, God does. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses declares, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. The one who all the Pharisees and the religious people of Jesus' day said that there will be one who will come from among you like me that you must listen to. The picture is getting clearer. A blessing, a prophet. In Micah chapter 5, listen to these words. But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. What God says, God does. Whose origins come from distant past? How is that possible? You're describing a future king. Well, it's possible if God does what God says. Isaiah chapter 7, written... Six to eight hundred years before Jesus even walked the earth. All right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. What God says, God does. In Isaiah chapter nine, please, please hear me out. When a text describe something so so perfectly hundreds of years before these things actually happen you have to give some credit you have to be able to go well that's that's strange it is a strange declaration and in Isaiah chapter 9, listen to these words. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be, will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. These are specific details about something that is going to happen. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army at Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. That's a unique description of a king. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Friends, God says, God does. The Old Testament is not random words or stories or God asking for blind faith. I need you to hear me when I say Christ followers are not blind faith people. We are faith people. Blind faith does not honor nor does it glorify God. 
Because the entire Old Testament is God saying, I am trustworthy, watch. And then people go, you are trustworthy. Blind faith is not honoring to God, nor does it glorify him. Faith is what we come to God with. Because, why? We've seen him trustworthy. The Old Testament is God declaring, I can be trusted. There is much in this world that will crumble, that will fall, that will break, and that will eventually be destroyed. I am not one of those things. You are safe trusting me. He is a God that keeps his word. So we come to the birth of Christ. And if I can say it simply, the birth of Christ is a huge reset button in our lives. When the promises of this world fail, when the promises of others fail, when the promises that we have made ourselves fail, we see the Savior born in Bethlehem and we say, okay, God, you promised, God, you said, and God, you came through. And today we would have nothing to celebrate unless you said we would celebrate. In the midst of these promises, Israel waited on the Lord. They waited because they trusted God would provide. Thankfully for us, our future is wrapped up in something that happened in the past. What if today, as you hear the children tell this Christmas story, having memorized and hidden the scripture in their heart, what if today you made a commitment to stop making promises to God and start believing the promises of God? What if you said, God, I'm done making promises to you because I can't keep them. But because I see Jesus in that manger, I will look into the promises you have made me. What if, what if, The baby in the manger is the reset button for all the broken promises either we have experienced or spoken on our own and a reminder of the promises that God has spoken to us. I will send rescue. We're going into communion together right now. And communion in a way is the ultimate reminder. What God says, God does. And around the corners of the room, you will see people holding bread and a cup, juice. When we take that bread and we dip it in the juice and we take it in, we are ultimately saying, God, what you said you would do, you did. You said you would provide a rescuer. You said you would provide someone to speak on your behalf. You said he'd be born of a virgin. You said he'd be born in Bethlehem. You said he would be crucified. You said he would be betrayed. You said he would raise from the dead. I think I'll stop making promises to you, God, because my word isn't very strong. But your word to me is very strong. As you take the bread and the juice, what if the baby in the manger that you're so used to, you could welcome as the answered promise that you've been looking for? The faithfulness of God is what is at stake here during this season of Advent and Christmas. May you be reminded that what God says, God does. When your hearts are prepared, you may go to the corners of the room, take, eat, 
remember Christ's life, death, and resurrection is evidence that God does what God, will, God says. Father, we love you. And I ask that we would not be so consumed with the gifts that we are going to give this season, but Father, we would be consumed with the gift that you have given to us in this season. I ask for more people to trust the promises of God and not their promises to you. If anything, would you let us see that our promises to you are so faulty, so conditional, so broken, so weak, but you are not. You are strong, you are trustworthy, and you are faithful. You are a God who does what he says he's going to do. And thank you. Thank you that that's who you are. It's in your name we pray.